It's Coalfield and Company. Thank God it's... Yep, Friday, Cofield and Company, hour two of the show. We're going to talk a little hockey in just a few with Darren Millard around the nights on AT&T Sportsnet. It's Candy, it's Cofield, it's Ari. 59 minutes and seven seconds until the beginning of the second round. No music today. Let's get right into it. Let's start moving. Let's go, NFL. Let's get to it. It's time for the three presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Important basketball note, Candy. LeBron James may, may play tonight. It sounds like if he doesn't play tonight, then he is going to play this weekend. So good news for the Lakers if LeBron James is starting to work his way towards full health and getting ready for the playoffs. Lakers find themselves in a spot right now where it is not beyond the realm of possibility that they could fall into the play-in situation in uh, the below the sixth seed in the Western Conference. So the return of LeBron, game-time decision tonight, if not definitely Sunday, then uh, you feel like if you've got LeBron and AD, then at least that part of falling that far won't be an issue. Yesterday in the draft, I like most of uh, what the teams who were aggressive and moved up, I liked what they did. I don't mind what the Jets did. They paid a, a good price to move up nine spots. But, you know, like the Raiders, if they love Vera Tucker, the uh, Jets got their guy going from 23 to 14. Uh, clearly, the Bears planted a stake in the ground by moving up and getting their quarterback of the future. And Justin Fields will hit that in the big five. I thought one of the more bold moves, and, you know, we're not going to wait around. We know what this draft is. I really liked what the Eagles did in jumping up and getting Devontae Smith. Were you surprised that the Cowboys in the division were willing to help out a rival? The Cowboys are more stacked at receiver than any other team in the division, and so I don't think it worries them that Devontae Smith would go to the Eagles. And so at the cost of a third-round pick to go down two spots, no, that's exactly the kind of management that I was advocating for the Raiders. Yeah. Pick up a three to move right. back two spots. It's right. free capital. Uh, what do you think of Devontae Smith? I'm sure that uh, your guy Gettleman was targeting him, and then when Gettleman couldn't get him, when he got crossed by the freaking Cowboys and the Eagles, he's like, I got to get the hell out of here. But would you have liked him to be the guy instead of, well, I mean, it's a stupid question. Yes, right? You would have taken Devontae Smith over Kadarius Tony. 100 times out of 100, and Dave Gettleman admitted as much in the press conference after he made the trade and said, yeah, we were looking at Devontae Smith, and when the Eagles jumped up, that was it. And the Eagles, of course, had built up draft capital by trading back earlier on, right? They had the option to stay at number six after they, uh, what, what do we say now, tanked for Waddle? Uh, but, you know, they, they, they had the option to, to stay there if they wanted to. And they chose not to. And then they chose to move back up. Smart management of your assets. And you kept him away from the Giants. I would have loved to have Devontae Smith. So the Raiders, and we've been through this, and we're going to hit it again. But the Raiders did not pick up extra draft capital yesterday with the 17th pick. They went with their guy probably a little bit early in Leatherwood. Before the draft in the offseason, they traded some offensive linemen. They didn't just release them. So kudos there. They got more draft capital. Do they need to use some of the extra picks 
today, Candy, to be more aggressive and move up. Uh, last night, Mayock was talking about looking ahead, uh, what he thought of the beginning of the second round, and we'll see if we can figure out what he's going to do today. You know, we're looking at tomorrow at pick uh, 48, the 16th pick of the day. Take a look, go home tonight, take a look at how, reset the board, take a look at how it looks for tomorrow. Uh, I'll probably make some calls uh, tonight and tomorrow morning just to check out some of the teams at the top end and what they're looking for. I got a good, really good feel for what it's going to cost to go from 48 to anywhere up in front. And uh, I like the depth that we're looking at tomorrow, to be honest with you. I like the way our board lays out right now. Uh, there were very few surprises tonight for us. Uh, so we're, we're looking forward to tomorrow. And, um, you know, you guys have seen the last couple of years, we've moved up and back uh, several times. So uh, eyes are wide open, and I hope we get a few opportunities to move around. All right, Candy, what do you think? Are they going to be willing to move up to get that starting free safety, maybe get some edge rush help, or they just stay back at 48? The single worst thing that this particular front office could do would be to trade up because look at what they think value is. They looked at Alex Leatherwood and knew, don't get me wrong, this isn't the media, this isn't evil media haters saying, oh, well, come on, how are you going to drag him for getting their guy? No, they looked and took a guy at 17 that everybody else said was going to go between 35 and 40, if not lower. And so why would you trust this particular front office to trade up? Why would you trust them to use draft capital to go even higher than where they are to potentially overdraft someone again? No, I don't think they should do that at all. Based on just the simple idea of what does this team need? I would say you need as many picks as possible, as many bites as the apple as possible. You need to take as many chances as you can and hope that you fill some of the spots on this roster that hope that there is a Hunter Renfro down here. Hope that there is a Max Crosby down here. These are the rounds that you've gotten some of the best players that you've drafted during the Gruden and Mayock era. So keep as many opportunities as you can to do that. There's really good depth between 33 and 48. Uh, I don't think there's a compelling need to move up, but if there's an opportunity to that makes sense to me, I'll do it. Uh, but the bottom line right now as the board sits is I think it looks uh, – I, I think there's a, uh, a good-looking group of players on both sides of the football. So I feel very confident that as uh, tomorrow progresses, we'll, we'll try and make the right moves. Best players available coming out here in 53 minutes when the second round starts, according to Pro Football Focus, Christian Barmore, defensive lineman from Alabama, Trevon Morig, safety, safety. Uh, TCU was actually my prediction. I thought that would be the reach to take uh, Morig. Owusu uh, Koromoa from Notre Dame, linebacker. So you kind of have uh, different levels all covered there, Candy. I don't think any of those three guys will be available when the Raiders pick comes up. Asante Samuel's on the board. There's some edge rushers who are still out there. As I mentioned earlier, seven of Kuyper's top 32 original board are available going into the second round. Ooh, look at that. All right, 13th guy on the list uh, for uh, availability today is actually a guy we talked to this week and Elijah Molden. Alex Molden, his dad, played in the NFL, and uh, they're both good buddies with Mark McMillan, so that'll be interesting to see if uh, potentially Alex Molden could be available where the Raiders select. So there's going to be someone good on defense. Am I way off here? Are they not going to take defense with this next pick? 
we thought they were going to take defense this year. We thought they were going defense in the first round this year, right? We thought they were going defense. Frankly, I actually, on our last break, went and looked at a couple of Colton Miller scouting reports, and the grades were Colton Miller could be the best tackle in this class, but how could the Raiders not choose defense with all the holes they have? That was 2018, and yeah. we're saying the same thing here in 2021. So on the defense of Gruden and Mayock, they have made clear that if they see X, Y, or Z as a whole on the roster, they're going to draft to the hole that is on the roster. So safety is a hole. Mm -hmm. That much is clear. We think, and I don't know that they agree with us, that wide receiver needs more depth. We think also that cornerback needs more depth. We know that edge rusher needs more depth. Three of those four are on the defensive side of the ball, and I would suggest that's where they should be going with their second round pick. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Now off to the races. Stone two-on-one with Pacioretty. Stone feeds Pacioretty. He scores! Second goal of the game for Max Pacioretty. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. My God, these guys are on fire. The Golden Knights got the Yotes up back-to-back. Darren Millard's a busy guy. He gets a couple minutes here on a Friday. Darren, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. We're obviously yeah, in... Yeah. Uh, Second day of the draft coming up. You guys yeah. all ready for it? Uh, we're always ready. We're always ready. Did you yeah. get wind of uh, how intense it gets around the Raiders when they, they make a pick that maybe everyone didn't think was the right pick? Well, I, I what I was funny was I, I, sensed, I sensed a bunch of uh, trepidation going into it. And then when the pick was made, I wasn't watching at the time. And my phone just blew up with, with all the, the draft uh, reaction. I'm like, oh, that didn't go well. No, no. Huh. Uh, that's, uh, that, that one appears to be uh, off the board uh, a little bit. And I was, I was with Candy. I thought everybody, I thought they were going D, 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 D. And, and they didn't, didn't go D. Yeah, I thought all along they were going to fill the hole at right tackle or go safety because they love to fill or draft for need. Let, let's tie together well, the Raiders and, and the Golden Knights in terms of conviction. Like the Raiders yeah. believe what they believe and they're not going to look at mock drafts and not going to be in line all the time with what everyone else thinks. And, to me, the Knights do what they want. The Knights' goal is to freaking win and win now. I hope the Raiders kind of catch up with the Knights with that mentality. But just just talk about that over the, these first couple of years. First of all, the success has been a, immense. And McPhee and, and Foley, they, they're not here to win a popularity contest. If they need to make changes and they got to ruffle feathers, they do it. Yeah, it's uh, it's professional sports. And I, and I thought uh, when they made the coaching change, it was a real um, – introduction to professional sports to to the las vegas valley uh and and major professional sports where you you make the decision to win and win now and uh and it may hurt people's feelings and it may not go uh, uh towards what the fan base is thinking but uh you've you've got to trust uh what you want uh, your gut is and george mcphee and, and kelly mccrimmon or i mean i've known kelly mccrimmon for uh 30 years and uh, and i've watched him make uh, tough decisions in the past and and he puts the, the team and the success of the program uh, ahead of uh, ahead of all else and sometimes that doesn't uh, just blend with the with the fan base now i, I would say you talk about the going with the plan and mock drafts and, and different areas like the golden knights are a great example of a team that pivoted on the fly and and did it without 
missing a beat. So the first year they go in and they're supposed to be an expansion team and it's going to be suffering for a couple, like, like any other expansion team, but they find, they find success. And instead of sticking with the plan and leaning back on that first year success, George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon uh, doubled down and went out and signed uh, the likes of uh, Mark uh, Stone to long-term contract, traded for Pacioretty, well, traded for Stone, and, and, and have continued to add. And, and I think that's one of the great examples of a professional sports team not getting stuck inside their own predetermined boundaries uh, as, as anything, with baseball, hockey, basketball, or football. Darren, we talk a lot about the Raiders and the, the fact that they have a philosophy and that I, in particular, think that their philosophy might be a bit dated in terms of how they build a team and the style of player they're looking for. And it seems to me that the Golden Knights also have a philosophy, but they have a philosophy that has earned trust, I think, from the fan base as opposed to where the Raiders fans are a bit skeptical. They seemed to me to go out, especially in the expansion draft, and they targeted speed. They targeted guys yeah. who can get up and down the ice, who can create opportunities in transition. And, you know, players like Alex Tuck, who you see are, are burning past defensemen every night. Um, what do you think is the philosophy of the Golden Knights in terms of what does their perfect player look like? What is the guy uh, that they're looking to go get? That's a great question, uh, Adam, and I think it's uh, versatility. I think it's speed. I think it's uh, hockey sense, uh, and and those those three things are hard to to find in one particular player. And then you have to add in a, a physical element because if if you want to talk about uh, all the players that came through the expansion draft, uh, I think on their own, uh, each player mm, underwhelming. Uh, back, like four years ago, I'm talking. Oh, when when the names are announced, uh, we we knew some of them: Mark Andre Fleury, uh, Braden McNabb. Uh, we, we we knew some of these players, but uh, but as a whole, you go, okay, where where's the the star power? You put them all together, and you've got that DNA uh, of, of speed, of being able to pressure players, uh, hockey sense, uh, and versatility. Uh, it it made things totally different, and and I'll be I'll be the first to admit uh, when when we announced those names uh, on that night at T-Mobile, uh, I was thinking, okay, well this is this is this is a project, and then you couple that with the philosophy of the the coaching staff and being able to put uh, put the, all the pressure on the other team with the the, the physical side, uh, the merits of being able to throw a body check and and not just throw body checks, but just pressure the opposition. Uh, they they developed a, a, a sort of a, a format for this team that has not really wavered. Uh, only they've just added better players at uh, at, at uh, more important positions. And it's a it's a great point. I mean, they they forecheck relentlessly. They have yeah. since year one. They forecheck very aggressively. Once they do, they cycle effectively and stay in the zone and really just make it very very but difficult for where they're opponents. better now. Here, though is off the rush. They can score off yeah. the rush. They don't need to to forecheck and create turnovers to score. I think that was a big part of their uh, offensive uh, success in year number one. Now with the likes of and, and Chandler Stevenson and Matthias Yamark are great examples of this of finding undervalued players who fit those good hockey sense, speed, and versatility, and now they can score off the rush uh, a lot more than they did in year number one, and it's just an added uh, attack. And we've seen a lot of scoring during this (laughs) 10-game winning streak. Um, The the Golden Knights have the longest winning streak in the National Hockey League at the moment. Um, 
how do we as fans pull apart the fact that this team appears to be playing its very best hockey of the year versus the fact that it really has been sort of the uh, the lower half of the division that they have gone against because the results are what they are. The Golden Knights are playing great yep. hockey right now. Um, it just feels like we're not going to see some more of those tests uh, until the postseason. Yeah, I, I would say uh, add, uh, the, the best way to counter those that say they feasted on uh, the lower end of the league and they, they have uh, for a for, uh, majority of, of this winning streak is how many other 10-game winning streaks has there been in the National Hockey League this year? And the answer Great is point. zero. Zero. So uh, if, it was, if it was just the ability to feast on, on the bottom of the teams, then uh, it would have happened numerous times because there's the haves and there's the have-nots in, in every division. The North Division, you've got your Ottawa's and your Vancouver's uh, right now have fallen off uh, uh, the pace, and, uh, and they, certainly you know, the Buffalo Sabres and, and the like in, the, uh, in New Jersey Devils in, in the East. So if it was just being able to feast and it was that easy, then there would be more than one 10-game winning streak in the National Hockey League. And uh, I think it's... Uh, it, it, too easy to say that uh, ten games in a row. Uh, look, the, the longest winning streak ever in the National Hockey League, guys, is seventeen. Uh, I would th- would have thought, and myself, and I've been around the game for a long time, uh, would have thought it would be longer than that. So that's how how hard it is. The closest I remember somebody coming was Columbus a couple of years ago. Did sixteen, like seventeen, and that was the powerhouse Pittsburgh Penguins of ninety two, ninety three. Uh, getting within seven, and if tonight they go, they win, they get within six. Like you're getting into some rarefied air when you get into double digits in the in the National Hockey League. Darren Millard from the Vegas Golden Knights joining us, talking about the Vegas ten uh, game winning streak. They're down in Arizona to take on the Coyotes this evening. Darren, as we look at what's to come for this team, they have first place in the division. They have the inside track to maintain first place in the division. When you look at what's going to likely be a first round matchup against the St. Louis Blues as things shape up right now, and I know we can't get yeah. too far ahead of ourselves here, no, but it's, it's, uh, we're, we're what, to the stage where we can start looking. All right. I, thank you for the approval because you're the one who's there day to day. So <laughs> if you're giving me the go ahead to go a little bit Absolutely. farther, then, then let's do it. So let, we look at this this St. Louis team. OK, the pedigree is obviously there from from the Stanley Cup run that they made a couple of years ago. It's not quite that team. And the Golden Knights have fared pretty well against them uh, over the last year or so. Yeah, the the big part uh, at is is they've walked into St. Louis and had a really successful year, winning three of the four games uh, at Enterprise Center, a place that Vegas had not won at, a building that they had not recorded a victory at uh, prior to this year. So I think that goes a long way with the confidence. And the other part, and it's not a guarantee, but the other part that, that goes into thinking that you're going to match up pretty well is you have their best player from their Stanley Cup year. And, and that's Alex Petrangelo. And I, tell me what he's thinking, looking at these standings right now, going, really? I, I changed teams, and now I'm going to – and we jumble up the divisions, and I'm going to have to play my former team in the, in the first playoff series that I ever played for my new team uh, because of uh, the, the St. Louis Blues sliding over. So that, uh, that, there's two elements there. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly's playing great right now. Mike Hoffman's discovered his scoring touch, uh, a player that, uh, that was sat out prior to the trade deadline 
in anticipation of being being moved, and they didn't move them. Uh, and so that's uh, that's how far they were thinking from where they are now. And and Jordan Bennington's playing great. Uh, they, they've got some pieces. Uh, I still think the Golden Knights should find a way uh, to win that. I, it's not going to be, I wouldn't say sweep, but uh, but it's uh, it's a series that the Golden Knights should be able to feel comfortable going into, as comfortable as you can in the National Hockey League, which has perennially uh, shown a lot of parity in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Darren, you're a busy guy. We appreciate a couple minutes. Thank you. Hey, second round of an end draft is so much fun. Enjoy it tonight. We will. We will. There you go. Darren Millard, AT&T Sportsnet. Uh, second round starts here in about 33 minutes. Let's do a giveaway. 364-1100. Call or 7364-1100. MLB The Show is out for Xbox. For Xbox, it's out now. You can create your own dream team by using the uh, Diamond Dynasty feature. You can play with your favorite legends, mix them in with current day players. It's very cool. Cool for both the hardcore and casual baseball Gamers, 364-1100, caller 7-364-1100, MLB the show for Xbox. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. It's time for Greenies Wine of the Week, presented by Weed Sellers. Hit weedsellers.com. All right, let's do it. Every week we check in on our uh, midday show, 10 a.m. He carries the station. Greeny, Mike Greenberg is back on ESPN Radio National. He's back on ESPN Las Vegas. And, yeah, we have some fun with it. You know, uh, Greeny can sound a little whiny sometimes. And uh, Weed Seller stepping up to back up a little Greeny material from the week. Now, he has not been on a whole lot the last couple of days because he's also hosting the draft. So I wanted to go back, at least the Vast Sound crew did, uh, Candy, I wanted to go back to before the draft and listen to some of Greeny's predictions and see how he did. Listen, the guy's been on uh, – uh, he's been around all these football players the last you know months and months and months and months and months talking about the draft on a show on the TV side. Get up. Let's uh, fire out a pre-draft Mike Greenberg prediction. So I think you're going to see a lot of reshuffling of the board based upon some medical information that comes in. And I think we're going to see a lot of trades. So I think the Jets are going to trade up. I'm not exactly sure what they'd be trading up for. I'll say this. If one of the big receivers in this draft winds up falling, whether that's either Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, which I think is not out of the question, I could see the Jets moving up to try and do something like that. Um, I don't think they have to move up to take the offensive lineman if they're happy with Tevin Jenkins. If they want to get Elijah Vera Tucker, I think they would have to move up to get him. One way or another, I think they're going to move up. How about that? Now that's his team, so he probably has some good hooks in there. Greeny, not only nailing the Jets move up, but the player. Well, he also said a receiver if they slip, but they didn't slip, and they went after Vera Tucker. Nice job by Greeny, right? Nostra Greenberg. <laughs> How impressive was that? Not only does he know they're trading up, he knows the guy they're going for. Although, I'll tell you what, he is not the only crystal ball expert. As soon as the Jets traded up last night, I was talking to you on the live podcast we were doing. You called it. You said what they were doing. You said they're probably coming up for a lineman. They're probably coming up to protect the uh, the right side for Zach Wilson. Let's do it. Let's do it. Jets are up today at, what, 34. I was talking to a Jets fan, my buddy Tom was saying, get another offensive lineman. I'm like, I don't think they're going to take an offensive lineman. But 
We'll see. I would like to see them get some more uh, offensive talent on the outside. They did make some improvements at receivers, so we'll see what the Jets do. They could also uh, desperately use help on their defense. It ain't a very good defense, especially on the back end. But Jets are up at 34 very much at the beginning of the third round. We're 27 minutes away from the second round beginning. Here's another greenie prediction from the week. Let's see if you got this one right. The Panthers, I do not believe, are going to take a quarterback. I know they're making noise like they are. I think they're the spot someone could easily trade up to if a quarterback falls to them. If not, I'd love to see them take an offensive lineman just for the sake of Sam Darnold, whether that's Rashawn Slater if he's sitting there, or Sewell if Sewell should fall there, whichever one they like. Okay, so he got it right that they weren't going to take a quarterback. The Panthers did not take a quarterback. That's Greeny, one of his wines of the week, brought to you by Weed Sellers, weedsellers.com, the best in bourbon, beer, and wine. Did you like the Panthers' choice of a cornerback over Rashawn Slater, who was sitting there? Because I'll tell you what, I live with a Chargers fan, and she's pretty hardcore. She was, she was fired up, and I know a lot of the Chargers fans she was reading on message boards were ecstatic that Slater slipped all the way down to the Chargers and was not taken by the Panthers. It's not the kind of pick that you just pan because if you can get a starting cornerback in the NFL, you do it, right? A cornerback is one of those positions that if you're going to overdraft, overdraft a cornerback because you can't have enough good defensive backs. But in reading some of the people smarter than me, which is most of them, uh, they describe the fact that uh, J.C. Horn is a press corner and that is not the style of coverage that Carolina plays. So I guess my question is, if you're going to go up, did they or not that they're going to go up, but if they're going to make a pick that goes against what the obvious need is for that team, then did they get the right guy? Fair. It's fair. No doubt. Uh, last one. Wine of the week from Greeny. Uh, I wonder what's going to happen. Well, what he said was going to happen with Devontae Smith in this draft. So I, he's, he's not plummeting. But I could see if, if someone's going to fall a little, I could see it mm. being him. Okay. In the end, did he fall a little? Not not really. Not really. Eh, he went about where well, his over-under was 11 and a half, right, Devontae Smith? Yeah. I mean, look, here here's the way I can put this. Devontae Smith is six feet tall and 170 pounds. I am six feet two and 173 pounds. One of us is going to play in the NFL next year. That would suggest to me why he would be, in the eyes of many franchises, lower than Jalen Waddell. That being said, I wanted the guy on my team. Go to weedsellers.com. It's uh, weed, C-E-L-L-A-R-S.com. No cannabis, no CBD, best in wine, bourbon, and beer. It's weedsellers.com. Dot com is where you can get it, and hopefully it'll be available here locally. You can order it online. It's out of California, and it's starting to spread across the country. Go up online, check out the selection, make an order. Tell them Mark McMillan. Tell them Cofield sent you. It's weedsellers.com. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select Trevor Lawrence, quarterback, Clemson. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. All right, let's get out to Adam Hill, who was covering the draft all day yesterday. Uh, we'll find out what he's doing today. 
part of the company as he's all over second and third round draft coverage for the Raiders. Adam, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I am good. What a uh, what a week. Draft week is always fun, Steve. I'm very excited. All right, so give me your reaction to uh, the pick of Alex Leatherwood. Really, from this standpoint, what the Raiders have said uh, last night, and then I just saw an update to a story up on Raiders.com. They really believe in this guy, and they Mike Mayock understands that a lot of people didn't have Leatherwood going as high as this. Uh, yeah, I mean, he said it himself, and I think that was very telling that he opened his availability last night saying, hey, we know this is going to be controversial. Well, what does that mean? I mean, uh, I, I know what he's saying. He's saying we know that the analysts and the other teams and you know, a lot of people had him ranked a lot lower. Uh, but it, it's just very telling that he kind of started off with that. And I think he it, – it seemed like it was almost in his head a little bit because – I know the, the desk on ESPN was pretty critical. I know NFL Network was kind of puzzled. And I'll say this, I had to uh, you know, I had to run from one uh, spot to the other last night, so I jumped in the car and I was listening to the radio coverage, and they outright laughed, laughed at the pick. So, like, he understood what the reception was going to be. Um, but in the past, they've just kind of said, you know, we don't care what everybody else says, we don't care what the boards say. We have our guys, and we know where we have guys ranked, and you know we're going to continue to operate that way. So they don't care, but it, it is pretty telling that he came right out with the we knew it was going to be controversial because it didn't seem like a whole lot of people had him ranked um, at, you know, much higher than mid-second round, even late second round. Now, in the end, it doesn't matter what other teams have. It matters what you have, and it really matters what maybe one other team has because if any other team – thought that he was worthy of a late first, early second round pick, then and you need that guy and you believe in that guy, then you kind of have to make that pick there. But if every other team in the league thought he was end of the second round, then it is a bad pick no matter how good he is. Adam Hill is with us from the RJ part of the Cofield and company family. Do you have any idea if there was an opportunity to move back, aside from what Mayock said? And what Mayock said was, hey, someone called, but their offer was no good and they wanted a tackle. He say the offer was no good. Uh, he said that he thought they were going to take an offensive lineman. And that was part of it, too. Okay. He actually did say so, that the offer was not up to snuff. Yeah, he said the offer was no good and, and that it was somebody that wanted to take an offensive lineman, so they weren't going to be able to do it because they thought they might be taking, you know, the same guy. Um, but I, I would imagine, uh, you know, I, I would have had to think that the move uh, was for Derisaw. And that that was what the you know the team was interested in doing, uh, because you know Christian Derisaw is a guy that I think um, it seemed to be a pretty general consensus that he was the third ranked offensive tackle, and I think it was surprising that that's not the direction the Raiders went. Uh, but you know th- there might have been hey if somebody's trying to move up for a tackle and they take our guy and we lose out on our guy we don't like it. But yeah, if you had an opportunity to move down, no matter how bad the offer was, if you still could have got the same guy, then it's a bad decision not to take the offer, right? Like. Again, these things, and I, I know it's a tough concept, it's a weird thing to, to try to get into math and analytics and all this stuff of the draft, but like, even if the offer was a 2072 seventh-round pick to move back and you still could have got the same guy, it's a bad trade. It's a bad decision not to take it, right? I mean, again, that's a weird thing to kind of go through and, and comprehend, but it is. If you could have got anything and still gotten the same guy, then it's a bad decision not to take the trade. Adam, the way I was putting it earlier was to say, let's say that you think Alex Leatherwood 
is worth $100 and you think Christian Derrissaw is worth $95 because it's not like you would have been upset if you were the Raiders to end up with Derrissaw. So, okay, so Alex Leatherwood is worth what he's worth to you. What happens if you end up with Derrissaw and a third-round pick, Derrissaw and a fourth-round pick, Derrissaw and whatever pick? Because in the end, that's the extra $5 plus a lot more that's the difference between the two guys. And so when you talk about Mayock saying, well, uh, you know, we knew it was going to be controversial. You're basically saying we already knew we liked this guy more than everybody else liked him. And that, to me, is the part where I say, okay, if you know it's controversial, then you know you have a higher grade on the guy, which means get out of that spot and let somebody else come take someone they think is more valuable. Right, and, and I think that's, that's all those things are very true. And I just think it's, you know, if you look at it and he says, you know, the offer just wasn't very good, well, who cares? Who, if you could have gotten anything, right? I mean, that, that's the bottom line of this. So, uh, I, you know, not to not to dwell on it too much because we say these same, same things every year, and um, the Raiders tend to have their own way of doing things. They have their own board, and that's that's not a terrible thing if you're right. You know, that that's the key to this. Like to have your own board and to have your own values and to have guys ranked differently than everybody else does is completely fine if you're ahead of the game. But when you're taking guys like David Arnett last year was ranked like 99 on some boards, and you take him in the first round. Uh, this year, I know Alex Leatherwood was, I was trying to look through some of the some of the big boards that were out there. And again, I know people are saying those don't matter, but they kind of do if everybody else is along the same lines. And he's mid-60s, and you take him, you know, 17th, like you better be right about those things. That's the key. Like you can, you can have your own board and do your own thing, do your own research, and go against the groupthink that really permeates the NFL. But you better be right. And that's kind of the bottom line here because it, when you're wrong, it looks even sillier. So, Adam, it feels to me like we can keep having these discussions year after year because it's not new that we're saying the Raiders valued someone more highly than everyone else. And the results thus far have suggested that they're not necessarily right. They've been wrong more than they've been right thus far. There's still more time to go. But it seems to me like it's a jury of one in the end, right? Like what Mark Davis thinks is the only thing that matters here because of the way Gruden and Mayock are set up structurally. If Davis is happy, then we can all scream into the wind till the end of this 10-year contract. Uh, yeah, but I'm actually going to say it's if, if, if Gruden is happy. Right, like Gruden is the coach until he doesn't want to be the coach anymore, and and I think that's the key. Like if if his collaboration with Mayock is working to Gruden's level of satisfaction, um, then everything goes along as planned. Because I I don't think I mean I don't think Mark Davis would make a move to move on from Gruden no matter what because of the contract. Now we don't know all the behind the scenes details and what a potential buyout could look like, uh, but if if the re- you know, if the reports about the contract are somewhat accurate, and it's it, it's as much as we believe it is, then it's impossible to get out of anyway. So Mark Davis's opinion could be that hey, this isn't working, and they're not doing this right. Uh, but it's it's nothing that's going to happen to Gruden. And and then, and if Gruden wants Mayock there, I think Mayock's going to be the guy. Now maybe at some point Mark Davis says, hey, I don't, you know, I'm not comfortable with every, the way everything's going. We need to make some changes, and and, and something happens there. Uh, to the the structure of the front office, but it's Gruden's job as long as he wants it. 
So now we look at round two, round three, and say the offensive line in the minds of Mayock and Gruden has now been addressed. What is at the top of the board for the Raiders right now in terms of their next couple picks? Oh, I think safety for sure uh, is one to look at. And there's a couple of guys that are still out there. Even Trayvon Merring is still out there, uh, the top-rated safety in the draft, who uh, I think would be a really nice fit for the Raiders if he was able to somehow fall. Um, I think really just an influx of talent. You've got you know you've got players filled out in most positions now that you have your quote unquote starting right tackle as they proclaimed last night with Leatherwood. Um, I still think you need to get some more depth along the offensive line. I mean the decision was made to get younger and cheaper. Uh, you've got your lineup kind of filled out, but maybe some some younger talented depth that you hope develops into potential starters along the line that would make some sense. Uh, but I think it's just whatever talented defensive players you could find best available defensive talent uh, is what you should look for, I think, because um, we know that they've addressed it. They've brought in some guys. They've spent some money in free agency. Uh, they still believe the linebackers will take a step forward. They hope their young secondary will continue to develop. Uh, but I think any kind of talent you can bring in on the defensive side of the ball is going to be helpful. And, and here's the other thing with taking offense uh, in the draft yesterday. And we know that they needed a right tackle. They needed to address that, and that's a spot – uh, that they needed to fill, for sure. There's no doubt about it. There was a need there. But by going offense in the draft, like, you you kind of are, you know, last year how often do we hear, like, hey, the offense is there, the defense needs to be better, defense needs to be better, the defense needs to be better. Okay, well, you've addressed it a little bit, but, like, those, those kind of, you know, claims are going to ring kind of hollow if you're in the season. You're like, well, the defense just needs to be better. Well, you could have addressed it. You had a chance in the first round to address it, and you chose to go offense and fill that need, and that's what I would have done too. But, man, if you're, if you're continuing to invest you know, first-round draft picks on the offensive side of the ball, you can't blame the defense for everything. Adam, I went back and I was looking at Cold Miller's draft grade, 2018, and one grade said, we think this guy is potentially the best tackle in the class, but this defense has so many holes that – we don't think this is the right pick. So we've been saying the same thing for three years now. Do we think that John Gruden in particular is someone who values defense? It, it feels to me like he just simply doesn't value defense. I mean, I think he does. It, it, I, listen, they again, <laughs> they did address it. They did address it in the offseason. Like, they brought in Yannick Ngakwe. They brought in, you know, talented linebackers last year. They signed... You know, some big money on Kwiatkowski and, and Littleton. They brought Morrow back. I mean, they are spending money, and they have invested picks on the defensive side of the ball the last couple of years, for sure. But when your discrepancy was as big, and I know situations changed. They they got rid of, you know, 60% of the offensive line. You had to address it in the draft. Uh, but when you have such a discrepancy between how good your offense is and how bad your defense is, and then you continue to make picks on the offensive side, yeah, I think it's clear Gruden has a preference for offense, but he certainly understands the importance of defense and that if you don't stop people, you're not going to win no matter how many points you score. Adam Hill is with us. Adam, what do you got cooking the rest of the day? Uh, be over at our uh, makeshift studio at the South Point for uh, uh, checking out all the drafts. We'll go live on every pick. If you check that out, uh, Vegas Nation, Facebook, uh, Review Journal, everywhere. Uh, then the wrap-up show tonight on uh, Cox Cable Channel 14 will be on television. And then uh, tomorrow, draft all day, and uh, UFC tomorrow night. Yes, I will be there, Steve. You're not banned. Apparently not. Much to the chagrin. I will tell you, 
somebody got so mad that I was at the press conference the other day. Some Twitter, some Twitter person was oh, really? furious. Oh yeah, furious. <laughs> Why are they mad? All five thousand of you people commenting after last weekend. It's all over. Calm down, as Adam Hill said during the week. Dana White doesn't need you to fight his battles and threaten Adam and his family over freaking stupid fight stories. Relax. Dana's okay. You don't need to be his white knight. Jeez. Believe me, based on the pictures I've seen of him recently, uh, if you guys go head-to-head in a battle, you got a little weight on him, you might squeeze the freaking life out of you. He is massive right now. Lift it up, bro! Lift it! All right, Adam, we'll see you. <laughs> see ya. Ah, Dana's got muscles on top of muscles. It's crazy right now. All right, second round's about to begin here in uh, less than seven minutes. At least hopefully we're getting the pick and we don't get Kings of Leon up there uh, getting pumped by Greeny repeatedly. Let me give you a couple of props before we go to the 4 o'clock hour. You ready? Fire. All right, Christian Barmar over under 40 and a half. We got 33 up now. So you're talking about Barmore. Uh, Bama defensive lineman. We've heard, hey, defensive tackle. There's no depth. This guy is the best by far. Over under 40 and a half. I'm assuming we're juiced to the under here, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I, and I'm still taking under as long as that juice isn't ridiculous. Christian Barmore, I don't think is going to last seven or eight picks. Elijah Moore, wide receiver. Uh, I think Kuiper had him at like 20. He might have had him in the teens on his big board. I actually think he did. I think he had him 16. On his big board, reset over under now thirty six and a half. Ooh, man, that's an aggressive number. Um, if I could get a little plus money on the over there, I probably would go over just because that is so super short. And this is a guy that we've expected to see go uh, as late as the late first round. The ESPN draft crew last night was thinking, even when the Ravens made the trade and uh, go and got uh, Rashad Bateman, that that might be something uh, where it was Elijah Moore. Running back, Javante Williams. Some thought he'd go ahead of Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. He did not. He's available on the second over-under of 49-and-a-half. Uh, just under there, the Raiders. I don't think they're taking a running back. 49-and-a-half. He's going to go before that, right? You know what? After my complete lack of success at predicting where running backs are going last night and the amount of money that I lost on Najee Harris going to Pittsburgh, I don't know that I'm the right guy to give you an answer. What do you think? I think he's going to go before that. Yeah, I think there'll be someone hungry to get a uh, a running back. Um, I Well, we'll get into what happened. Yesterday was weird with the Steelers. I think the Steelers and Jags are different stories, but it's still weird seeing teams continue to use first-round picks on running backs. Owusu Koromoa, a guy that uh, a lot of people are interested in going to the Raiders. His over-under is actually right on the first pick of the second round, thinking the Jags will take him. I guess we're we have to go over on this one, right? 33-and-a-half? Just based on the bet, you've got to go over. But I think what Urban Meyer showed you last night is that he might have just as regressive of a philosophy as John Gruden does in terms of players who play positions that are not valued by the rest of the league. He went and took Travis Etienne at 26 when he already had James Robinson. Linebackers are not valued, and that's why this guy is still on the board. If this draft were happening 15 years ago, this guy would have been a top 10 pick. Quarterback to be drafted first today. We are two and a half minutes away from the beginning of the second round. Davis Mills is plus 110. Kyle Trask is plus 140. And Kellen Mond is plus 225. 
think that's actually just about appropriately priced. Uh, I, I do think it's Trask off the board first here. Uh, Davis Mills has certainly gotten a lot of hype as a toolsier guy. Kyle Trask is a little more college success to point to. Kellen Mond is completely a projection based on how much people think Jimbo Fisher screws up quarterbacks. Four o'clock hours on the way, football frenzy, and then our buddy, former Oakland Raider, Stanford Route is in. Finley Toyota, they'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota.